You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Testudo Times Podcast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Sam Ostry alongside Lauren Roche and Dylan Spilko. We have a lot to get to with Maryland men's basketball today. Um, you know, they've had three games since we last recorded last Wednesday, and they're one and two. It, they were one and two in those three games, they're nine and nine overall, and one and six in the Big Ten. That is not a great record. They're not playing too hot. We have a lot to get to. Um, it's a Thursday. We're going to be recording on Thursdays from here on out. Um, and they have a game against Illinois tomorrow at home. So we're going to preview that one as well. But first, let's start with that first matchup back last Wednesday against Northwestern, which we all thought was a winnable matchup. They squeaked it out in double overtime. They collapsed late in regulation, but they were end up, ended up pulling away in double overtime. So what were your takeaways from that matchup? It was their, it's their only win in the Big Ten. It was their second time they played Northwestern, and they came out on top. So what were some of your takeaways from that matchup? I mean, they were so lucky to get away with a, a win against Northwestern that one. They could have easily lost that game. They could have easily been 0-3 in their last three games and been on this very elongated Big Ten losing streak. But, I, I mean, that game was just – you couldn't even put it into words, like what was going on in that game because it was so hectic. I mean, you go into half at 30-30, you go into a crazy end of regulation. They give up six points in a span of 30 seconds or so. It was just it was just a complete collapse, and it's just that end of regulation, that 30-second span just shows just exactly how the season is going for Maryland men's basketball, and it just shows how they are not just able to shut the door on any kind of Big Ten team. And they don't, they're really struggling to close out games. We've seen in the second half against a lot of these Big Ten teams. But in this game against Northwestern, which is now uh, three games ago, it feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, it's just, it, it was just, it was uh, just another letdown for this team in, in a season that has just been full of letdown performances. And I think that's just, and in, it, even though they won, it still feels like it, it almost, it's as close as you can get to a loss. <laughs> as you can while winning the game. Because even though they win by seven, you, you get another win in your win column. All you can remember is them blowing a six-point lead with 30 seconds left. I mean, you don't see that that often. And they had that game. It looked like they had the game. And they ended up uh, letting it go at the end. Luckily uh, for Danny Manning and the Terps, they were able to pull it out and double overtime. But I, I, I can't help but you know, not feel confident after that win. Yeah, and I think that it just kind of exemplifies or exemplified the theme of the season, which is, you know, whether they're winning or losing, it's this concept of kind of them digging themselves into a hole and trying to climb back. And even though they didn't kind of get there until the end of regulation, quite frankly, when they um, Northwestern had the game tied, they were able to climb out of it. And that is just kind of a testament to, you know, maybe where both of these programs stand and um, – Northwestern being a little bit more of an even matchup for Maryland, but not to get ahead, but I think that the game does kind of also foreshadow the theme that we saw later in the week and what we've kind of keep seeing time and time again, which is that Maryland has the opportunity sometimes to walk away with wins. And, you know, if they had, it, it really is if they don't do kind of some of the mistakes and like the turnovers and whatever that is that 
they have the opportunity to walk away with what should be a relatively uncontested or easier win, but they just can't get that job done. And Northwestern kind of exemplified that. They weren't able to get the job done in regulation. They were able to do it in two overtimes. And I think that was a big win for them. I mean, they talk about there are no moral victories, but I think for a program that really seems to be taking it one game at a time, having that win under their belts at that point and picking up a win in Big Ten play um, seemed like it was going to kind of spark some life into this Maryland team. Yeah, it did. It did certainly seem like that at the time. And it feels like a long time ago that game was because they're 0-2 since. And, and fought, there was no real takeaway from that game I, and for me, just because I felt like it was a game they needed to, they had to win, and they were desperate. Obviously, the boneheaded play at the end of regulation um, with the flagrant foul that resulted in two free throws for Northwestern that eventually allowed them to tie the game. That's what, that's what forced it into overtime, and, and it shouldn't have even got there. But Maryland, Northwestern, even though they had a big upset win over Michigan State, they're also one of the worst teams in the Big Ten right along with Maryland. So, but, and Northwestern beat them early in the season. So it, it was a must win. And it, you thought at the time that maybe you, they could build some momentum on, on this, get your first Big Ten win, continue to pick them up. And then we go to Ru- the, um, they play Rutgers at home um, a few days later. And they were leading by 11 at halftime, and they ended up losing by 11. They got outscored by 22 in the second half. And it's been a theme all season that sometimes they can get off to good starts, and then they falter late. Sometimes it's the first half that's horrible, and then they perform the second half, which was the case on Michigan, against Michigan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But whatever it is, they can't put complete 40 minutes of basketball together. It's really – and it's, it's the, all the players, too. It's really only – one half they're performing well and one half they're performing really poorly. And that's making shots. That's the energy. That's the defensive intensity. That's everything. And that was certainly on display against Rutgers where they lost. So, I mean, what happened in that second half where they just completely collapsed and get and lost, lost that half by in 20 minutes. They lost that 20, they lost those 20 minutes by 22 points, which is really an embarrassing show. And, and from there, everything just kind of has unraveled in a, in a bad way. I think it just came down to, when Ron Harper Jr. started going off in that second half, he ended with 20 points, hit a bunch of big threes. It was like in the final five minutes when Rutgers really pulled away. And it just comes to show how when an opponent starts to hit clutch shots against this Maryland team, and if Eric Ayala isn't clicking with, with like 50, at least 50% efficiency, this team has no answer offensively for like a, a late game shot to try to tie the game. And if that was already seen in Northwestern, when in the final six seconds, they had a chance to win the game in regulation, and the go-to play was a contested Eric Isle of three, which I couldn't have disagreed with more considering that Maryland got to the line 38 times against Northwestern, and they opted to – they had seven seconds, and they Ayala could have easily taken it in the paint and looked to draw a foul late. But, you know, they go for three, and I think it just comes to show in the Rutgers loss. It just carried over where Maryland, they really needed a response offensively late in the game. And they and Eric Isle, 5 of 15 from the field when all is said and done against Rutgers, it, Maryland just doesn't have the kind of response for a, a Ron Harper Jr. when he's hot. For uh, even Mulcahy, he went, he went off late in that game. It was just a, a perfect storm for Maryland against Rutgers, and it, was just, it makes it seem even – more of a, a letdown, disappointing loss, considering it was in College Park, where Maryland is now six and five on the season, which by itself is already pretty shocking as it is. So, I think it was just a matter of Rutgers 
really heating up late. They had a few wide open looks. It's not like Maryland's defense was playing well. I think it was more of just inefficiency on both sides on offense. I mean, there were there were thirty combined turnovers between both teams. But I, I Rutgers did a good. That was a game that Rutgers they were also desperate to win. They if you're looking at it from both sides, those are both game. Those both sides needed to win that game if they want to keep their postseason hopes alive, really. And Rutgers has suffered a lot of early season losses and they see that as a strong win over Maryland by 11 points on the road. I don't think many people expected that. Yeah, and one thing Rutgers did really well is they just kept their poise throughout the game. I think um, in that press conference afterward, um, Rutgers head coach was talking about how he wasn't necessarily upset with the performance that they had in the first half, despite Maryland kind of walking into the locker room with that kind of lead. And maybe that kind of calmness or that he talks about he was exuding and like kind of the confidence that he had in his team really played a factor in the way that they were just able to like come out very strong in that second half and Dylan you touched upon it perfectly like Maryland has had no answer for Ron Harper Jr. and it's the consistent theme and something that I'm really interested in seeing is now as Maryland starts to play these teams again is if they somehow find a response to these players and I mean every you could say, I guess you can make the argument that they just won't because they've had so many opportunities to play against dominant players early on here in Big Ten play. But I'm interested after kind of playing um, uh, certain opponents for a second time, whether they'll be able to kind of um, tighten that up. Like for Ron Harper Jr. to have a career high day against Maryland, you know, this late in his career for this to be his career high game, I think it just kind of shows that, you know, Maryland – isn't playing the kind of defense that they need to be playing to be winning these games. And, you know, they play Rutgers again very soon. And, you know, uh, playing at Rutgers, playing in Piscataway is a known to be a little bit of a tough environment and we'll see if it is, and we'll see if that game ends up being anything. But I think it'll be interesting to see if coming into that game, maybe Maryland finds a little bit more of a response for someone like Ron Harper Jr. It feels like maybe they had slightly better hold of him on uh, better hold of him on uh, in the first half. And, you know, they did something about that game is that they did kind of what Danny Manning has been um, talking about over and over the season, which is just kind of get to the foul line often and early on and get in that double bonus relatively early. And they were able to do that. And we saw how successful this team can be when they do that. But in the second half, they just weren't able to kind of perform that way. So I think it's kind of two sides to this um, puzzle or whatever the case may be, where it's Ron Harper Jr. ended up um, doing more than he should have been capable of in that game. And then at the same time, uh, Maryland wasn't able to kind of draw those fouls. And, you know, Danny Manning talked about Ron Harper Jr. before the game, and he's a very talented player, and he has a lot of uh, very high skill set and is a great player. And so he, for him to kind of have one of these days where he's putting up these career high numbers, it's not surprising that he's the player who kind of did that for Rutgers, as it really has been a theme for opponents to score career highs on Maryland this season. Yeah, everyone gets career highs all over the place. And Hunter Dickinson the other night got a career high in assists. Um, so, like, players just, they see Maryland on the schedule, these stars on the opposing teams, and they're like, wow, this is a game. I'm going to eat. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to I'm gonna have a great day. Um, in that loss to Rutgers, it kind of felt like this was a big game. And at halftime, it felt like, oh, okay, okay, maybe this team can build on that, that double overtime win against Northwestern. Maybe they can get a few more Big Ten wins we won't expect it at that point and get you know, maybe finish towards the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, maybe make a late push towards March madness. 
but then they completely fell apart. And it, it, that just at that moment, it really felt like their season was completely lost. And I think every fan that was watching it felt like and no player or coach would ever admit it, and they'll never play like it. But it, it feels like that second half was the moment where this season is officially a lost season. Something else to note in that game against Rutgers, Julian Reese got his first career start. The freshman who's been very impressive um, this season, he's been the backup big man, but he started over Kudus Wahab, who's really been struggling. You know, he only played 14 minutes against Rutgers, only had four points. And just in his last few games, he really isn't a threat scoring the basketball. Um, opposing big mans like Kofi Cockburn, the other, a few games ago against Illinois, who they're going to be playing tomorrow again too, Hunter Dickinson, anyone just gets their way. Um, any other big man gets their way against uh, Wahab. So he's really, he's really been struggling too. Like, is there any hope for him going forward the rest of the season? What are they going to do with that big man situation moving forward? I think at this point of the season, it's Reese's job to lose. I, I, I mean, it, it's just been – Kudus Wahab has been an absolute liability so far this season. He's, he's a talented player. He's, he's a talented player, but right now he's really struggling against Big Ten play. He doesn't seem to match up against these swifter and maybe more skilled big – it's just that – He's not really being a, a positive factor to whatever Maryland's trying to do. It's either the ball's going inside to him and he's either going up for a two-pointer or it's, it's a turnover. He's not really quick with the ball in his hands. He's not, he's not very efficient when the ball's going down low. And it's, it's really showing. And I think Coach Manning, he's going to start to uh, – we're going to see a lot more Julian Reese, as if we haven't seen enough Julian Reese – already at this point in the season, and rightfully so, we should see more Julian Reese. And the efficiency, I think, for Reese is going to come. I think he's a more uh, he's more agile. He's a better scorer than Wahab, that I would say, especially in last game against Michigan. We saw some three-pointers from Reese. So I think he definitely has more versatility than what Wahab brings. And I think that at, at this point, Wahab's the backup. Wahab is the backup center at this point to Julian Reese. And I think that's the way it should be with how both players have been playing. It should be noted after, real quick, it should be noted just after that, after that game, uh, Wahab was back in the starting lineup, but Julian Reese still, even when Wahab was in the starting lineup, Reese was still playing more minutes than him on the floor, right. um, which, yeah. which is interesting. And, and the other thing that I've said all year really about Reese since the coaching changes, he's the only person, literally the only person on the roster that I would be completely confident will still be um, – on Maryland's team next year because when a coach coach new coach comes in they're gonna see who do you like who do you not like who am I gonna give opportunity to and Reese has proved himself to any coach that he has so much raw talent and he has a ton of potential so any coach would want to work with that and he's also obviously from Maryland from uh, Baltimore and his sister plays at Maryland so he's the only person I'd be confident that Maryland would be on the roster next year so it, it's good that he's gonna be getting that opportunity so go ahead Lauren. Yeah no I was just gonna say that I think Right now, Julian's biggest setback is just that he's young and he is still kind of getting acclimated to everything. And, you know, maybe um, Coach Manning has talked about this over and over and over again, that when you play in high school and you're Julian's size, you're not playing against kids your size in every game. And then you get to college and the competition is a lot stiffer, especially in the Big Ten. And we see the bigs that are in the Big Ten. And so I think for him, we will definitely continue to see all these opportunities that we have been seeing. Um, I think more games in the starting lineup for sure. I do believe though, when Manning says that they might continue to flip flop them throughout the season, I think that there's just kind of a lot of room with where this team is at right now at this point in the season to try out different lineups. And I think even when 
Q was starting earlier in the season, we were seeing the two of them split a lot of time. So I think that they'll continue to split time, but I agree that Julian has so much potential and so much talent. He's even exhibited that. It's not like he hasn't necessarily reached a point where people are satisfied with his performance. I think that people um, around him and the players are very happy with the way that he's been playing. But being that he's a freshman, there's kind of a lot of little things that he can clean up. There's been a couple of games where he's fouled a bunch and, you know, things where maybe he just like shows his youngness a little bit. But I think that as he continues to get more reps in games and all of that, he will get more used to that role and kind of all of that. Yes, Dylan? Yes, I was going to say, I, I, I disagree with uh, Danny Manning putting in Wahab into the starting lineup. And here's why. I, I, I completely disagree with it. The season at this point, it's already it's borderline over for Maryland's NCAA postseason hopes, unless they rip off some kind of nope, it's over. miraculous, unforeseen 13-0 run. It, it would literally take 11 wins in 13 games to, to even sniff the first four, something like that. And at this point of the season, if Reese is going to be one of the only locks to return to the roster next year, why not start him every single game? If you're going to test your young center and your young forward at, in, a, in a difficult season, why not put him out right now and start him every single game the rest of the way over Wahab? If he's already playing better than Wahab, just from the eye test alone, which I think is true, if you can definitively tell me that Wahab is playing better than Julian Reese, then I, I would say that you're probably wrong. So I would think that Reese deserve. I think he deserves the starting spot for the rest of the season. And I don't think it should be matchup-based anymore because right now it seems that Wahab is the worst matchup on offense and on defense against these stronger Big Ten centers. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't disagree, but like it's, it's not really – like maybe Dan Manning to a degree is thinking about, okay, the few, the future. And like, if Reese is going to be the guy that sticks around, he's the young, the young guy, but like, it's not going to be Danny Manning's team next year. And all like, I think we can say that pretty confidently at this point, that it's not going to be his team. So he's not saying, um, he's not thinking like, like, Oh yeah, for next year, he's doing whatever he can to win as much games as possible. And I, you know, a lot of people make, to do about who's starting night in and night out, but it's really about who's getting the most minutes. And if Julian Reese is getting the most minutes, then I don't really have a problem um, with who, who's starting necessarily, uh, as long as Julian Reese is getting the most minutes. Because I do agree that he should be the premier guy out there. And he it also just had like, regardless of the fact, like I think it helps with the future, developing him, getting him more minutes and experience against tough Big Ten bigs and Big Ten competition. But also, like, it's the recipe for success because Wahab is not a threat on offense against other good post players. And at least Julian Reese has more athleticism and can extend the floor. Like, he can knock down, knock down jumpers there. But so, you know, after that Rutgers loss, we're going to see how they respond against Michigan. Michigan team that had a long COVID pause, had one game, then played Maryland. It wasn't sure if their star Hunter Dickinson was going to play. It was a game-time decision. He ended up playing. And boy, did he just, he played and then some. I mean, he, another guy, star on another team that just dominated Maryland, um, I believe 21 points, uh, 23 points, something, 20 plus point night. I should have the stat in front of me, but I don't. Um, and a ton of rebounds. He was dominant all night. He did have a career high and assist with six, like I said earlier. But that was an 83 to 64 loss for Maryland. Their largest, largest loss of the year. They came out flat. That first half was abysmal. They scored 19 points, the lowest they scored in a half all season. But then in the second half, not that it really mattered for either teams, but Maryland actually outplayed Michigan a little bit, started to hit a few more shots. And something I want to talk about is Eric Ayala, 
who had two points in the first half, but then 20 in the second half. And we've seen that kind of trend, not just with the team, but with Eric Ayala all year. When he's going, he's scoring the ball at a high level and he's knocking down shots. He can keep up with the best of them in the Big Ten. And I, I mean that with like Ron Harbour Jr., everyone. When he's scoring the ball and at a high level and knocking down shots. But when he's not, and you're seeing that inconsistency from half to half, this Maryland offense is going to really struggle. And, and they really did in that first half without Eric Ayala going because they really rely on Eric Ayala to generate any type of offense for them. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you, you said most of it. I mean, when he's, when he's on, Maryland's on. But in this game, you know, he was on in the second half. And it's Maryland's one of the only Big Ten teams where if one or two players are not at the top of their game, the entire ship is wrecked. That's that's just how it is. If Ayala's if Ayala's putting up two points in the first half, I could. If you were to tell me Ayala put up two points in the first half against Michigan, you didn't tell me the score. I would say they're probably down by at least fifteen. I I think there's just not enough depth besides I besides their top scorers to get any to keep any of these games close, especially against the uh, better Big Ten teams. And Michigan was struggling coming into this game, but they were dealing with so many COVID issues and so many subtractions from their roster recently and they finally looked like they I mean Maryland made them look like a the top one of the top preseason teams that they were projected to be early on in the season but Ayala's 20 points in the second half I mean by the end of the first half I don't think anybody expected Maryland to pull any kind of miraculous upset in Ann Arbor I, I don't think that was realistic at all especially after putting up 19 points in the first half I mean it doesn't get any worse than that if you're Maryland and if, if you're looking just outside of Ayala, only two other players in the second half put up more than two points. And against any Big Ten team, that's just not going to get the job done. And despite, and I agree with you that Ayala can play just, just about anybody in the Big Ten in the backcourt, but that's something that was expected early on in the season. He was one of the preseason uh, shooting guards, point guards to watch. And it's just, the depth is just really showing through for Maryland. And that really was the case against Michigan. And Michigan, credit to Michigan, they took it to Maryland all game. And Hunter Dickinson, another statement to, to the Maryland program, which uh, he thought that uh, he was dis disrespected by. So Dickinson, eight for 11 in that second half. So every time Maryland tried to rip off a run, Dickinson would just come back and hold the ball in the post and either dish it out or just score an easy two. But Ayala's second half performance, 20 points. It was stellar. The rest of the team, not enough effort, not enough efficiency, I should say. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because when I was looking at a couple things, but I was recently went back and looked at a takeaways piece that we worked on after media day. And one of our takeaways was about depth and experience. And it just hasn't necessarily been translating the same way that I think it was expected to be. There's definitely a lot of experience on this team, yet the depth isn't necessarily kind of translating to what maybe it should be and whatever the case may be. But when I was looking um, through the stats after the Rutgers game, nearly um, all the starters had 10 or more points. Uh, Fats Russell and Julian Reese, I think, had nine each, so they were each one one shy. But Maryland was close to all of its um, scorers, all of its starters having 10 or more points, which I don't think has happened this season. And when you look at that and how they're still losing and you look at kind of 
Eric Ayala and Dante Scott, who, when they're kind of performing well, it seems Maryland's performing well, they only put up 13 and 12 points respectively. So it's kind of like Maryland really seems to heavily rely on the two of them. It seems definitely more Ayala, but kind of like when they're having hot nights, Maryland can kind of stick with it. But at Michigan's point, it was just too late, like with Ayala kind of not having that kind of performance until uh, 20 minutes into the game, whatever the case may be. But I wonder what factors into that because it hasn't been the first time that that's happened. He's had a couple games where he's had slow first halves and then kind of comes out and has a really incredible second half. But after this game, he was asked during the press conference about his performance and really didn't want to talk about it much for him at this point. It's like, okay, he's scoring 22 points and 20 of those are coming in the last 20 minutes, but it doesn't matter to him because the results aren't there. But you have to think that the results aren't there. And partially it's, there's so many reasons that the results aren't there, but for him not to kind of be able to like flip it on until the second half definitely plays a role in that, but it doesn't all fall on him. It falls on everyone. And it's kind of like, if nobody else is performing to the point where they have to be, where Dante Scott and Eric Ayala are picking up the majority of the points. And then I think um, Julian Reese also put up double digits, but everyone else is scoring way less than that. It's, they're not going to be able to get anywhere by just relying on a couple of their top scorers. And at the beginning of the season, it seemed like that wasn't necessarily going to be a problem or really ahead of the season, but it's kind of been shown time and time again that, you know, maybe that definitely is a problem for Maryland. And I wonder how Ayala's performance will kind of, I mean, he's been putting up um, pretty high numbers recently, but I wonder how his performance will kind of continue to trend throughout the rest of the season and whether this kind of like, he'll start to kick it on a little bit earlier and whether that relates at all to Maryland's potential success in the future. Talk about all these things like the depth and everything. Danny Manning saw enough from that starting lineup that he'd been putting out there most nights. And he decided to send Fats Russell and Hakeem Hart to the bench to start the game. And Ian Martinez and Xavier Green got that start against Michigan. You know, Ian Martinez has been a huge disappointment this year. I think a lot of people expected more uh, coming into the season. He, he was a productive player at Utah. Maybe a score he could create his own, knock down the threes. But it feels like he's lost his confidence out there. And he's just, he's struggling. He didn't really do much um, in that Michigan game when he got the start, his first start of the season. But Fats Russell and Hakeem Hart entered the game pretty quickly after like five or so minutes after that first media timeout. And after the game, Danny Manning said that he um, he said he, like he just needed to try something else. He wanted to push a few buttons. He needed to see more from them. But I don't like and I understand that because, yeah, you're right. Whatever was was happening right there wasn't working. But sending Fats and Hakeem to the bench isn't and, and Hakeem had been very good. So this season, too, I think. So sending them to the bench for those two guys isn't going to get more offense. You know, you're not going to generate anything else. I'm not saying that's why they lost. That's why they went down early, but it certainly didn't help. And I understand that that's what he's trying to do. And that's his message. But he also said he's going to be trying, pushing some different buttons. Like, and I expect to see a lot of new guys playing. I think Pablo could get some, some minutes. I think maybe even the freshman Ike Cornish, who people have been begging to see, he might be playing Marcus Dockery, who got on the end of that Michigan game and had a nice and one play, you know, they, Danny Manning and the staff have absolutely nothing to lose at this point. They really have nothing to lose because they've been playing horrible basketball. They can't get wins over these quality opponents. And so why not push a few different buttons and, and see which different lineups may produce some offensive success? So, I mean, who, who do you expect to see when we talk about this Illinois game coming up, which we'll preview in a minute, like who are you expecting to see get more time and who do you think is going to get less time? 
I think I think you're right with uh, I think Dockery. I think he's a really good option to get some more minutes, especially with just just one play can change the perspective of how someone looks at you. And in that Michigan game, he had that impressive and very agile circus type shot and one. And to me, I'm already saying after that shot, okay, maybe he deserves some more chances. So it could just be one play that gets uh, gets you more playing time. And I think if anyone's going to get more time, it should be Dockery. And there's not much it's, – it's weird because at the same time, you want to give players more opportunities. But then, again, Maryland's, like, backcourt and frontcourt, they're, they're already filled out with guys – it's just so hard with guys that are underperforming. Like, you're going to send Fats Russell to the bench for Marcus Dockery? I mean, that's that's a crazy decision that I never thought we would be discussing at this point in the season. But that's that's just what it's come to for Maryland at this point. And there is nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose at this point in the season. Why? Because nothing has been working. And yeah, when, and that, <laughs> yeah go ahead. I was going to say that that's an interesting point because, like, yeah, you're right. There is nothing to lose. And, and like, might as well just try different lineups. But when you look down that roster, like, you don't see a lot of guys that are good. Maybe like they'll provide a spark for a few minutes, like Simon Wright could, but you, you don't see guys that should be playing over the starters. The starters are the best players on the team. So it's not like they're going to start generating some great offense by putting these bench players in, but they do have nothing to lose. So it's interesting how, how they balance that. And it is a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll continue to see more of Xavier green, maybe not in a starting role, but definitely in, or maybe not in the continuous starting role considered he started last game, but I think, I think we talked about it last week, but, you know, he did a lot at Old Dominion. Old Dominion is really different than Maryland and the Big Ten, but, you know, he did a lot there, and he seems to kind of provide um, some really good defense for Maryland. I mean, he does. He doesn't seem to. He does that. And I think maybe his offense is where he lacks a little bit, and that's where, at least at Maryland, maybe not in his entire career, but this season. And so – I think if he can kick that offense up a couple notches, we might be seeing even more minutes out of him. Kind of curious to see how um, against Illinois, if there's any sort of, um, it was in, it was against Illinois that, um, what should I call it? I think that was the game that Julian had fouled out of. And I'm interested to see, I mean, Kofi is just so tall and there's no one other than Q or Julian who can even like slightly match up to him, but I wonder if kind of how the rest of the lineup kind of looks around him at the beginning of the season, coaching staff was talking a lot about putting like Pablo and I think when they wanted to go a little bit taller on the lineup and then maybe putting in Simon Wright when they wanted to go a little bit smaller. I don't think they're that different in height. I think only about one inch, but I'm curious to see if maybe depending on how this Illinois is going, I don't think you put Pablo on Kofi, but I think I wonder if, you know, maybe he sees a little bit more time on the court. We saw him a little bit, against Michigan. So it's just kind of interesting to see where this lineup goes. Um, I think people would like to see Ike play. You talked about that a little bit, Sam. It'd be interesting to see kind of what his contribution could be to the team. I'm not totally sure why he hasn't necessarily played yet, but I think that there's really a lot of time left in the season still, and maybe not so much time to turn things around. And I understand that like there's a lot has already happened, but there's still plenty of time to kind of see the potential of some of these players and what some of these players can do and step up when maybe things, maybe the pressure isn't on as much. So I'm curious. I, I also would like to see Ian Martinez kind of perform at the level that um, 
kind of people know he's capable of performing it. And he showed glimpses of it here and there, but you know, the expectation when he came to Maryland was that he was going to be able to be I guess maybe not totally consistent, but a relatively consistent player. So I'm really interested to seeing how the bench kind of responds to all these shifts. And if one of them can kind of have a breakout game, and even if Maryland's not winning that game, but kind of just those players showing off what they can do. I think that's really where we're at right now. Yeah, and it really will be interesting to see what guys are are plugged in there and at what points in the game, you know, and away from the usual starters that we've seen all year, usual top seven or eight guys that we've seen all year. The last thing I want to get to is just Maryland's offense as a whole. Maryland's assist to turnover ratio is really bad. I wrote about this in one of my takeaways. You know, they have 10 more turnovers than they do assists. When you have that type of assisted turnover ratio, it's so hard to generate offense at times. And sometimes their, their offense is looking fluid. They're not turning the ball over. Other times it's so stale. They're not moving the ball side to side. There's no ball movement. It's a lot of ISO one-on-one basketball. And it's really just, it, it's really ugly. And that's what produces turnovers. And, you know, and when you're not moving the ball and you're not getting other guys open looks and you're not moving it side to side. And so they've just turned the ball over in spurts way too much and it's it's often in spurts just five minute spurts where they'll have like three or four turnovers and then some later in the game they might clean it up but it just leads to so many fast break points and other teams to score in points off of turnovers and it's really it's really a problem it's hindered this maryland offense i don't know if you guys have anything to say about the, the turnover problem and just the maryland offense as a whole it, there's a big problem there's a big problem with the turnovers sure. and and they seem to i don't know why but they seem to come in like clusters the, this Maryland basketball team, every possession is like is like a roller coaster, because there's not enough proven scores on this team. I, I mean, there are, but when they're not shoot, when when Eric Ayala is shooting eight for seventeen, Dante Scott seven of sixteen, and then everyone else is really struggling from the field. Your decision making, your ball movement, it's all going to shift, and sometimes it's just a mentality thing. When Maryland. When those people, when those players see themselves down 20 points at the end of the first half, that mindset is going to shift. And it just comes to show on each possession where sometimes bad passes are made, shots are taken that are contested, and then Maryland just gives up these runs where they let their opponent kind of just run all over them. And it comes in spurts, but the turnovers, I think they've been an issue all season. And I don't think that's going to change the rest of the way. Yeah. And there's one, just one more thing, quick point. You may have a comment, you may not. Like after the game, Danny Manning said um, that there's like, no one's going to feel sorry for them. There's going to be no pity. Um, like they're going to continue to uh, stump on them. They're going to continue to, to try to dominate Maryland, whether it's at home, whether it's on the road, wherever. And he's certainly right about that. No one's feeling sorry for everything that Maryland went through this year with the coaching change and everything. But let me just give, um, like it's not an excuse, but this coaching staff is is not like a real coaching staff right now. Um, they have two coaches that started the year on the bench right now working for them. Like you, you can, and then Greg Manning Jr. is also got promoted to an assistant. He's also serving as the real as the um, as an assistant coach, but he's also serving as the roles as director of basketball operations. So he's he's double duty there. But so Danny Manning got promoted to head coach. Um, obviously, we know Bruce Slinger, Slinger is not there right now, and Matt Brady has always been that that number main number two guy. But they really have two, maybe you could say three guys, two to three guys 
two that were on the original staff of the top four guys working as a coaching staff. I mean, that's just like, it is such a team effort, such a collaborative effort that you need to, to put together game plan for in-game coaching decisions. You want as many dis, like opinions as possible to try to make the best decision. So like, and obviously a lot of other guys are helping out the video department. Everyone has to have an elevated role, but they, they deserve some credit for how, I don't know if credit's the right word, but they deserve just a shout out at least for, for the fact that they're dealing with such a depleted coaching staff. You know, sometimes they deal with depleted rosters in terms of their players, injured, injuries, COVID, whatever it is. But it's very rare where you deal with depleted coaching staff where more guys have to do the work of, of really guys that shouldn't be there. Yeah, and I mean, my only comment about that is I think sometimes when you're covering teams, um, you can separate yourself a little bit from things that go on with you know the team and able to cover it from outside. But I can't help but um, have a lot of empathy, sympathy for what this coaching staff is going through and what they are you know putting together, and that they do come out seemingly like really with an effort and really wanting to win. And I mean that's what's expected of them. That's their job. But I agree with you, Sam. A lot of people are stepping up, and it is definitely. Um, seemingly a very kind of still positive attitude coming from that coaching staff, despite kind of what's going on right now. Yeah. So now we have Illinois. The second time Maryland's going to be playing Illinois this year at home this time, Maryland, it'll be in college park on Friday at 7 PM. Um, Maryland lost by 12 on the road last time, but they were up by, they were got down big early Maryland, and then they fought their way back. They were up by four at halftime. A big part of that was because Kofi Cockburn, Illinois star big man, he spent a lot of the time in that first half on the bench due to foul trouble. And that completely opened the game up for Maryland. Um, they, were, they were able to drive inside without the rim presence, They're more comfortable getting to the lane. And then um, on the other end, you know, Kofi creates so many looks for so many other guys because you have to pay so, so much attention to him on the defense. Um, so the game completely shifted when he was out of the game. Comes back in the second half, completely dominates. You know, he just had a field day against Maryland's big. Uh, both Kudus Wahab and Julian Reese fouled out with 5,000 that game. Dante Scott got a few shifts on him once those guys fouled out. But they just had no answers for him all game. So what are we expecting from this game? Like, what does Maryland need to do to have better coverage against Kofi? And, like, what, what can they do differently this time? Um, I think a lot of it is out of their hands now, especially considering Andre Corbello is back. And Curbelo performed really well against Purdue. And when, when Illinois played Purdue, that, that was a really fun matchup to watch, especially with a, a near full strength Illinois team. Uh, what can Maryland do differently this time? That's I, I, I honestly don't have any answers for you because it, they're going to be facing an even stronger Illinois team now that Curbelo is back in. That just shifts so many things for them. Now they have shooters all over the floor with Plummer, Frazier, Curbelo, and then you add Kofi inside. Uh, I think it's going to be a really difficult task for Maryland. If they were going to beat Illinois this season, it, they had the perfect situation possible in that first game. The one, the one, that's how Purdue beat Illinois, was by getting Kofi in foul trouble early and often. And Zach Eady led the way, but Maryland doesn't have a Zach Eady. They don't have a big that's as big as that. Is te- I mean, Zach Eady's probably – he might even be better than Kofi Coburn, honestly, more effective than him. And 
and Maryland's Caduce Wahab and Julian Reese are talented bigs in their own right, but Coburn's on just a different level, especially right now. And it's going to be really difficult for Maryland to, to scrape out a win. But if they're going to do it, it's going to be because Illinois implodes and it's not, be, it's not going to be because Maryland's going to outplay them. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think really the only thing that Maryland can do to really try and find the win, which I guess they did kind of do last time, is just draw fouls on the inside from Kofi and try and get him to the bench early and find a hole to play with him without him being on the court. But again, I think there's a lot more moving pieces for Maryland's defense to now kind of keep track of. And in a lot of ways, this might be a much tougher matchup for them than the first time around even. Yeah, something they did last time was first when uh, defensively, they kind of tried to front the post a little bit. They didn't have much success doing it. I think they really need to commit to that because you're not going to be able to double because he's a smart guy. He's, he's a good passer out of the double team. So you're not really going to be able to send those doubles too easily. I think Q or Julian or even if it's Dante with the smaller, smaller lineups, they really have to emphasize not just denying the ball, but fronting the post and making sure they can do whatever it's possible. And then you have someone on the backside preventing him from, from that over-the-top pass. So, so you have someone on the midline there. And so that's the way you kind of prevent him from getting the ball. Because once he has the ball, I mean, that offense is, is very dominant. Illinois is one of the best teams in the country for a reason. I mean, they're one of the best in the Big Ten, and Maryland's one of the worst. So, so that's, that's just how it's going to go. On the other side of the floor, I think that Maryland has a shot to um, – like the only shot that they have – is in this game is if Kofi's not on the floor. I, re- I really think that. And the only way to get him off the floor is foul trouble. So they got it. That happened early with two fouls in that first half, the first time they played him. But then they really stopped attacking him. And he's not an easy guy to attack by any means. But Maryland kind of tried to get him out in the pick and roll, you know, wherever Kofi was guarding would go and set an on-ball screen. And you kind of try to get him away from the basket so it's easy, you have an easier lane to the rim. But he was really in drop coverage because he – the, the read is and what the coaches I'm sure are telling him is these guys aren't very good shooters off the dribbles. Maybe Ayala's the only guy you really have to account for. So he's going to play a little off and drop coverage. So he's not as, as easy to get away from the basket. So it's a really difficult matchup for Maryland. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the best teams in the big 10, like I said, against one of the worst. Do we have a prediction, a score prediction? Yeah, I got, I got one for you. I, I, <laughs> uh, I think Illinois, they looked so much better offensively against Purdue, especially against a really lengthy and good Purdue defense. And Maryland is not on par with Purdue's kind of defensive effort. Uh, I think Illinois breaks the 80-point mark. I think their offense is just too good, especially with Corbello in. And I'll go with 81-68, to 68, Jeez. Illinois. That's so close to mine. I had – You're kidding. That's great. Yes, I had 82-68. to 68. 80, yeah, 82 to 68. Yeah, I think I think um, Maryland's going to compete a little more, and I think we're going to find out a lot. You know, is this is this team, like, quitting on this season, on a season that is, seems pretty lost at this point? But – or are they going to continue to compete? Um, and we're going to find out. You know, it's Friday. Students are back. We're going to find out if anyone has any interest in this program right now, which the, we kind of know the answer is no. They're kind of just waiting for next season. But we'll find out based on – who's in that crowd or not. Maybe the home crowd, the home energy can provide a little bit of spark. I think Maryland's still going to lose the game, but I think they're, they compete. It's, it's mostly competitive throughout, but Illinois ends up winning 78-70. to 70. Well, if we have nothing else here. We're all good. Then that's the show. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to Studio Times Podcast on the Studio Times Podcast Network. 
We'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday moving forward for the rest of the year. Have a good one.